It is indeed an honor to be here this morning, and I'm excited because I think the Lord has a word for us this morning from Romans chapter 8, and preparing our hearts for that. Would you read with me these verses from Psalm 44? These are the opening three verses from Psalm 44. Would you read them with me, please? O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. And for not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arms save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Father, as we come to Romans 8 this morning, we are going to hear the resounding gospel answer to a question that ravages our soul. And I know when we preach the word of God, some of these truths are for discipleship and disciple-making truths that we will need further down the road. But for some in this room, these truths are a matter of life and death because they're in the midst of this question. So, Lord, this morning we ask for your grace. We ask that your Spirit would speak clearly the astounding, resounding gospel answer, but also that you would speak that into our hearts and particularly the hearts of those today who desperately need to know this answer. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. So let me just begin by clearly stating what I'm, I'm asking the Lord to accomplish this morning. The text that we're about to read, there is a question that is posed in verse 35. That question is poured into the real life experience of verse 36. And in response to that, in verse 37, there is this resounding gospel answer that Paul gives. And so my prayer for the Lord this morning, my request to him is that he would help us to see how it is we get from the question of verse 35 that is experienced in our real life experience in verse 36, how it is we get to that answer, the resounding gospel Answer. And before we read our text, let me just say this. The, the question that we're going to see in verse 35, that it's played out in the real experience in verse 36, this is not a, a theoretical question. This is the great challenge of faith question. And each one of us will repeatedly face this question over and over and over. Or to say it another way, if you and I have any hope of being a faithful follower of Christ to the end of our life, all the way to the end, it is imperative that we know with our heart and with our soul how it is that Paul arrives at the resounding gospel answer of verse 37. So would you look at Romans chapter eight with me? We're beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? So this whole paragraph we're about to read is how do we respond to these things? Well, what are these things? I've been preaching through Romans 8 in, in our church for the last 10 weeks, and not to try to drag you through 10 weeks worth of sermons, but I think we need to understand what, what these things are that Paul asked that question, what do we say to these things? 
First 17 verses of Romans 8 really talk about who we are in Christ. In Christ, the the penalty of sin has been paid for. That's why there's no condemnation for those who've been justified by grace through faith. But the power of sin has been broken because the Spirit has set us free from the principle of, of law and death. And so we are reborn in our mind and we are reborn in our will. We're reborn in our mind. The natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, so we've been reborn, so now we can discern what God is up to. But we've been reborn in our will because the power of sin has been broken. Uh, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so the spirit of the eternal triune God dwells within us. And as Paul describes that in Romans 8, this is not a theological idea or theoretical idea. This is a experiential reality that the eternal triune God dwells within us. And so he says things like the spirit leads us and guides us because we're children of God. The spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. It's through the spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father, that we pray, that, that the spirit has sealed us to be part of God's divine eternal plan. So the first 17 verses of Romans 8 talk about the incredible greatness of who we are in Christ. And then in verse 18, it takes the reality of who we are in Christ and says, this is what it's like in very real world experiences to walk in Christ in a difficult world. Uh, the, the heading in, in my uh, scriptures, the heading over Romans chapter eight is life in the spirit. The spirit is, by, is mentioned by name more times in Romans chapter eight than any other chapter in scripture. And, and real life is talked about more in Romans 8 than any other chapter of Scripture as well. And so it really is how the, those of us who are in Christ, who have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we step into the reality of life, what is it like to live like in Christ? So in verse 18, talks about the sufferings of this present time. And, and just because you're in Christ and the Spirit dwells you does not protect you from the sufferings of this present time, but you suffer differently. You suffer differently because the Spirit indwells you and is at work and comforts you and guides you and leads you and gives you power. You suffer differently because you identify with Christ and so you suffer with Christ. At verse 20, it talks about how creation is subjected to futility. We're bondage to decay and we groan under that. And because you're in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, that does not prevent you from groaning, but we groan inwardly with the Holy Spirit and we are waiting eagerly. We are hoping for that which we cannot see. We are hoping for creation itself to be liberated from the bondage to decay and the redemption of our body so that we can participate in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we are hoping for what we do not see. Or as we've been saying in our church, suffering, groaning, hoping, and waiting. This is the experience of life as we are in Christ with the Spirit. We're suffering, groaning, hoping, and waiting. Then in verse 26, God has not just left us alone to suffer, groan, hope, and wait, but the Spirit who indwells us is helping us. And one of the ways the Spirit helps us is intercedes for us. We don't even know how to pray sometimes, but the Spirit who's in our heart is interceding for us according to the will of God, the eternal triune God at work in prayer. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Son's at the right hand of God interceding for us. The Father's searching our heart where we groan, where we pray, where he hears the Spirit according to the will of God. And so because of all of that, we get to the great promise and says, and we know God is working all things together for good. And then we end with this great golden gospel train, foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. And so when he says, what do we say to all these things? That's a mouthful. Who we are in Christ, the spirit of God indwells us and all that God has done for us. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? What an incredible statement. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, what might the charge be? God shouldn't be for you. You don't deserve God's favor. You don't, be, you don't deserve to be part of God's plan. God should be against you. You're not worthy of all this. Who's gonna bring that charge? God's the one who justifies. God's the judge who declared us not guilty. God's the one who did not spare his own son. God's the one that, that called us worthy of this. So who's gonna bring a charge? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? The whole chapter begins, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who's gonna condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And then he asked this great question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he quotes from a psalm. Why does he quote this weird verse from this weird song? I've always been bothered by this quote. It seems so out of place. It, it interrupts the train of thought. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no, and all these things were more than conquered. I could think of a million verses that would be better to quote from Psalms right there right? Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 24 that, that you read earlier, the worship team read earlier for us. There's a, there's a bunch of better Psalms to quote. So why does he quote this verse? I think it's for this reason, so that the question of verse 35 doesn't go unnoticed. Who shall separate us from the love of of Christ. And just so you don't miss that question, he quotes from Psalm 44. And I think we need to hear the question before we get to the resounding answer in verse 37. Psalm 44 is a lament psalm. We started our time by reading from Psalm 44. The first part of the psalm, we've heard with our ears our fathers have told us all the great works that you did in their day, how you went out with their armies, how you defeated their enemies. It wasn't even their work. It was your great hand. You delivered them. You rescued them. We've heard all these great testimonies. And then in verse nine, it shifts. But you have rejected us. But you have not gone out with our armies. Oh, we've heard these stories. We've heard the testimonies where everyone get up and say how God has fought all their battles for them, but you're not going out with us. Listen to these statements. You made us turn back from the foe. You made us like sheep for slaughter. You have sold your people for trifle. You've made us the taunt of our neighbors. You've made us a by one among the nations. All day long, my disgrace is before me. You've done this to me. Verse 17, all of this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We've not been false to your covenant. We've not turned back from your ways, but you have covered us with the shadow of death. And then you get to this verse that Paul quotes in verse 22, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You hear the, the essence of Psalm 44? We've heard all of these great stories about how God's done all these great things. But that's not what it feels like for us. 
You ask the question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, sword, shall that separate us from the love of of God? The heart of Psalm 40 says, well, it sure feels like it. From where I stand, that's what it looks like. I don't see a whole lot of evidence of your love here. In fact, what it feels like to me is you don't care for me. You're not watching over me. You don't really love me. I feel like I am just a sheep that is assigned to be slaughtered and no one cares, not even you. Psalm 44 ends, a lot of the lament hymns end with some kind of statement of faith, some kind of, but we will trust in you, but we will hope in you, not Psalm 44. Psalm 44 ends with this desperate cry, awake God, why are you sleeping? Rise up, come to our help. And these are the last words, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The question of who shall separate us from the love of God is the question that in our real world experience, our felt world experience of pain is where it feels like God has forgotten us, God has forsaken us, We don't see evidence of his love. If God loves me and God is all powerful and he cares for me, then why am I going through this? So the question of verse 35 is not rhetorical. It's very experiential. And I think it's pretty bold of the apostle Paul in verse 37. I mean, in verse 37, Paul is is looking in the eyes of the person who's praying Psalm 44. He's looking in the eyes of the sons of Korah. That's who wrote Psalm 44. But he's looking in the eyes of of every believer who's ever asked that question. Everyone who's ever struggled with, where are you? Don't you love me? Do you care for me? And looking them in the eyes and saying, no. In all these things, we are more than overcomers. And my question is very Simple. By what gospel right can the apostle give a resounding no to a question that each one of us has either asked or will ask? I mean, you think about when when someone that you know is in a great time of, of pain and trouble, and they're experiencing Psalm 44 in their life, and you just look at them and say, No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. It's pretty bold. Just look in someone's eyes and say that. But what gospel right does Paul say that? Now, Joe, I don't know that I've got this fully worked out. Good news is I don't have to preach this sermon until four more weeks in our church. Um, but the bad news is I got 10 minutes to finish it here today. So let me just point to some truths from Romans 8 that serve us as the foundation for Paul's resounding gospel answer to the question of verse 35 and the experience of verse 36 and how he can say with such boldness and confidence, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So just a few things from Romans 8. The first one is this, is the question of God's love for me and for you was settled on the cross was centered on the cross. That is the heart of the question, is it not? That's why in verse 35, it's who shall separate us from the love of God. That's why the whole chapter is gonna end talking about the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why the last verse in Psalm 44 is, is rise up for the stake of your steadfast love. That's the resounding question. Do you love me? Do you care for me? Do you see me? Are you watching over me? Am I the apple of your eye? Do you have any affection for me at all? And I'm grateful that you read from Romans 5 this morning. God demonstrates his love towards us. The 
question about whether or not God loves you has been settled on the cross. Whereas Romans 8 says, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God has demonstrated through the cross that question of whether or not he loves you. So when you get into experience of life and you're feeling like you are separated from God's love or God doesn't really love you, you don't have the evidence, Paul is able to say with a very bold, no, that is not true because the cross has answered that question once and for all. God has demonstrated his love for you by sending his son. This is why we come, keep coming back to the cross over and over and over because our suffering and our groaning and our hoping and our waiting needs to hear over and over again that God's love for you has been settled on the cross. He has declared that once and for all. So no, you are not separated from his love. The cross proves that he loves you. But Romans 8 goes even deeper than that because out of Romans 8, we are reminded that God has not left us alone in our pain. Paul can say, no, you are not separated from God's love. The, the cross demonstrates once and for all God loves you. But beyond that, God is, uh, Romans 8 is able to say to us, the way that God's love is expressed in us is the indwelling Holy Spirit within you is God's abiding love in your life. So you're not separated from the love of God because the love of God is in you through the indwelling spirit of God. As, as Romans 8 talks about the indwelling spirit of God, it is not, like I said earlier, it's not theoretical, it's not theological, but it is very experiential. Paul, Paul says that this, the spirit of the eternal triune God who dwells within you is such a real reality that you actually experience in real ways. Romans 8 talks about how the Spirit leads us and guides us, how the Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are indeed children of God, how it's through the Spirit that we actually cry out to God, Abba, Father, that the Spirit's actually interceding for us according to the will of God. We can add to that the testimony of Scripture at large. Spirit comforts us as only the God of all comfort can really comfort us in our hearts uh, this, God sheds his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So this is how we experience God's love for us is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit empowers us with the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. That great verse from Ephesians, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think according to the power that has worked within us. The peace that passes all understanding. So the fact that we have the indwelling Spirit of God when we get into a situation where we feel like we are separated from God's love, not only has his love been demonstrated and proven on the cross, but because he has put his spirit inside of us and indwells us and continues to work, that is God's continuing demonstration of his love for us. We are not abandoned. Indeed, we are indwelt. The complete opposite of being abandoned. We are indwelt. And that's why Paul can say with such resounding strength, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Another thing we see through Romans 8 of how Paul can come to verse 37 with such a resounding gospel answer. Paul reminds us and Romans 8 reminds us that, that we have an eternal timeline. Our life is not limited to just this present world. Suffering, groaning, hoping, waiting only makes sense if you remember that you were reborn for eternity and not just for this world. The math of suffering does not work out if you just limit the equation to this lifetime. 
You have to have an expanded view of how long God has to, to win the game, so to speak. So to use a bad sports analogy, if you're a Cowboys fan, you don't get too worried when you're down by three with 30 seconds left in the first quarter because you know the game's longer than one quarter. There's four quarters. There's lots of other reasons to be worried if you're a Cowboys fan, but if you're a Rangers fan, you don't get too worried when you're down by two in the bottom of the third because you know there's nine innings. Um, maybe that's not a good analogy. We did win last night, so I guess that's okay. Our timeline is not limited to this present time. That's why verse 18 says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is yet to be revealed. We're hoping for that which we cannot see. There are things that you are longing for that when you are gonna be an overwhelming conqueror that will not happen in this lifetime, right? God will bring a, a cease to all wars. Death will be no more. There will be peace where righteousness dwells. These are things that are not gonna be won in your lifetime. You have to have an eternal viewpoint. So when Paul says we are more than conquerors, he has the end in sight and that end is not limited to your lifespan on this earth. So we can say we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. But even greater than that in, in Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight re reveals in such powerful language the, the divine eternal plan of God. Creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. We talked about this in depth one Sunday at our church that, that when God speaks of his divine eternal plan, it's this idea of the new heavens and the new earth. It's God remaking, uh, breaking the curse, making everything new. Uh, and so it's this great vision that creation is gonna be liberated from the curse and its bondage decay. So we've got this great testimony of God's divine eternal plan. But the beautiful thing about Romans 8 is not only does God have this divine eternal plan, but he has adopted you and me into that plan. We are a part of his divine eternal plan. This is all through Romans 8. We are adopted to be children of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ. God promises to glorify us. Verse 18, it's the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. The Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. Don't miss that. The will of God has something to do with you. And that's why the Spirit of God is, is praying according to that will as it relates to you. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Why? So that Christ would be the firstborn among many others. The, we're supposed to be part of God's divine eternal plan. Those whom he foreknew at the end, he will glorify. And so the victory of Romans 8 is not only that God has this fantastic divine eternal plan, but he's adopted those who are Christ in Christ into that plan to be a part of that. This is why we know Romans 8, 28 is true. We talked about this Sunday at our church. Paul says two verses earlier, we don't know how to pray as we should, but then he says in verse 28, but we do know this, that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, how can someone who said we don't even know how to pray have the confidence to say we do know this? We do know this because God's divine eternal plan includes us. And if part of his divine eternal plan is to remake everything so, and to make everything new and to conquer everything that is broken and we get to be a part of that, then we have the confidence to say God's working all things together for that good and we get to be part of that good. So the resounding gospel answer to the question, who shall separate us from the love of God? When our experience 
feels like persecution, distress, all these things are separating from us from God's love. That resounding gospel answer is no, that is not true. The cross has demonstrated God's love for you once and for all. And beyond that, God has demonstrated his love for you by indwelling you with his spirit who is at work within you. And we, you will overwhelmingly conquer because God has this divine eternal plan and you are adopted into that plan to be a part of that plan and you will experience that plan. Which is why he's able to say at the end, Verse 37 and on. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The resounding gospel answer is nothing can separate you from from his divine eternal plan because he's adopted you into it. The cross answers the question of does he love you? The indwelling spirit answers that question. Has God abandoned you? Has God left you alone? And his divine eternal plan answers that question that you will more than conquer that which you are suffering at this present moment. So our song of response this morning to all of this probably no greater way for us to respond to this than this great ancient hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I think maybe we're legally bound to sing this on Reformation Day, I'm not sure. But really, this historic song is nothing more than Romans 8 set to music. If you look, think about it. Our God is a mighty fortress, but our ancient foe seeks to work us woe. That's why we suffer, we groan, we hope, we wait. But we are not in this battle in our strength alone. The spirit of God indwells us. And so even though this world is filled with many things that threaten to undo us, many sufferings, many tribulations, many persecutions, we will not fear. Why? Because God has willed his truth to triumph through us. God has adopted us into his plan, filled us with the spirit, and his truth is going to be victorious through us. And so we rejoice, the spirit and the gift are ours. The spirit indwells us and uh, we can let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, why? Because we know we were reborn for eternity. We're looking forward to creation being liberated for the redemption of our bodies. And we sing the last line in the song is because his kingdom is forever and we are sealed by his spirit and we know that we will be a part of that eternal kingdom. This ancient song is Romans 8 set to music. So may we sing it this morning, not as an ancient song, but as our testimony. And I wanna encourage you as you sing this this morning for, for your situation, your Psalm 44 that makes you want to feel like you are nothing more than a lamb sent to the slaughter. Can you give your resounding no to that this morning? No, in all these things, we were more than conquerors. God has demonstrated his love for me. He continues to prove his love for me through the abiding spirit. I have the confidence to know that I will be overwhelmingly a conquer because God has adopted me into his divine eternal plan. Let's sing it as our testimony of faith. So Father God, we thank you so much for this gospel resounding answer to such a fantastic question that we struggle with in our life over and over again because of our weakness when we suffer and when we groan because of our weakness it feels like you've left us it feels like we're all alone it feels like we're we're insignificant sheep that no one really cares about whether we live or whether we die and yet the resounding gospel answer is that is not true 
It is not true. God has demonstrated his love for us and he continues to prove it through the indwelling spirit's work in our life. And this beautiful reality that we are adopted into the divine eternal plan of God. Father, before we sing, I just wanna take a moment and pray for that person that you have gathered here this morning. And their prayers don't sound like Romans 8, 37. Their prayers sound like Psalm 44, 22. And everything that we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes is not just a scriptural text, but it is their life. And in their soul, in their heart, in their sadness, in their weakness, they really are wondering and crying out, do you, do you love me? Are you sovereign over this? Are you with me? Are you the keeper of my life? Are you even aware of what's going on? Father, I pray that you would anoint this hymn with your spirit, that even as we are pouring out our confession to you, you would be pouring through your spirit, your confession to them, even as they sing this song, that they would hear you say to them, no, that is not true. In fact, in all these things, you will more than conquer. To your glory and to our good. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.